This morning's reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 32 to chapter 11, verse 7. And then we will just switch over the page at the end, but I'll let you know when. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in great conflict, a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but in my righteous one will, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. And just turn over the page to chapter 11, verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. This is God's word. Thank you very much for reading indeed. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller. If we've not met, uh, it'd be lovely to do so afterwards. And uh, we're jumping back into the book of Hebrews. We haven't been here for a while, but we're going to spend the next month in chapter 11. So that's why we've uh, just read to the end, almost, to do, do the whole chapter this morning. But we will do, over the next four weeks, uh, looking at what it means to live by faith. Let me do this in prayer as we begin. Father, here is a, a rich, a magnificent chapter of your word. 
And we pray it would inspire us to live by faith. That seeing how the ancients trusted you, we would do likewise. Knowing that your promises are absolutely certain. Would we trust them? Would we live actively for the glory of your name? Through Jesus we pray it. Amen. Hebrews 11 will tell you that faith does things. And next month, my father-in-law is kindly taking the, the whole family away. It's a sort of belated 70th birthday thing. He's been intending to do it for a while. Uh, but uh, uh, children, grandchildren, taking everyone away uh, to Croatia, which is nice. And uh, we're delighted for that. Uh, and so I'm hoping for a good trip. And so I've done things by faith in that promise that he's taking us away. By faith, I have booked the time off. By faith... I have purchased some Croatian kuna uh, before the uh, Great British Pound goes further and further uh, down into the floor. I guess a couple of days before, or perhaps the night before, by faith, I'll pack some clothes. By faith, I'll buy some lotion for my face. By faith, in the sunshine that takes place over there, and indeed over in this country. Now, I've never been to Croatia. I believe it exists. I haven't seen the tickets that my father-in-law has purchased. I have not personally seen the invoice for the hotel. But I do trust him. He has demonstrated that over 20 years or so of knowing him. He's a trustworthy bloke. So by faith, I have made plans for that trip. Good for you. Well done. Very impressive. But faith in a promise... It makes you plan. It changes how you do things. And in Hebrews chapter 11, that's the sort of faith that the writer is talking about. It's an active trust. It shapes your decisions. It shapes your daily life because you believe a promise that's going to come in the future. Faith is, if I put it in these terms, an active trust in a certain promise about an unseen future. And we'll see that over the next four weeks. It's an active trust in a certain promise that God has made about an unseen future. That's faith. It's active. So faith is not a backup plan for when life goes wrong. Or not something you need only when you die. So occasionally people will act that way. People treat faith like house insurance. So you renew it once a year and it comes through the post and you tuck it in a drawer and you never think about it. You don't go to bed or you don't wake up in most mornings thinking, what am I going to do about my house insurance? Is it still there? You just, it's just there. And the only reason you'll ever try and dig it out again is if your house, your roof falls in or something goes wrong, then you're worried that you filed it in the correct place. But in the normal scheme of things, it's just there. And you only need it in case of disaster. And sometimes people have lived the Christian faith like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but so what? Day to day, I live my life. I'll pull it out of the drawer if I need it. At the end of life, it might be useful. But in the meantime, well, over there. That is not faith, according to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is active trust in a certain promise of an unseen future. Faith in the promises of God shapes each and every day for the Christian. 
Now, this letter, perhaps better sermon that's been transcribed in the book of Hebrews. It's a word of encouragement. That's how he describes it. And uh, some will remember the whole letter then is written to Christians who are struggling. They're struggling with the gap in one sense between the promises of what God says will happen in the future and the pain of the current reality. And even though we're in chapter 11, I had read uh, back from verse 32 because it gives you some of the context. Uh, It may not be fierce, but uh, he says, remember what happened when you became Christians. So it may not be raging at the moment for the church, but when you became Christians, verse 32, remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, you'd become believers, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. And what happens? Well, two things in particular. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, mockery. And at other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. And, well, here's the extraordinary phrase, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So he says to them, well, you know what it's like when you became a Christian. There was mockery, there was insults. People shamed you for your faith. Well, some may know some of that today in the 21st century. Uh, But then also there was the more aggressive persecution, property taken, life in prison. We're not going to know that in the West. That is not our experience. But if you're in Egypt and your church is being bombed, or your Christian community bombed on a bus, you know it. If in parts of Indonesia your property is being confiscated because you're Christians, you know it. In rural China, you know it. So in chapter 11, here is a a whole list of examples, a great long list of believers from the Old Testament who did live by faith. Their faith in the certain promises of God shaped how they lived because they were looking ahead to the future. Look down with me to verses 1 and 2. Here is his definition of faith. Not the only way you can define faith in the Bible, plenty of ways in one sense, but here is his definition that he's concerned that we get here. What is it? Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, confidence, it's okay as a translation. I guess you can take it in two senses, though. There's a subjective feeling of confidence, I am confident that England will beat New Zealand the next time we play them at cricket on Monday. We've done so twice. Uh, That's good. And I would expect, I'm afraid for you Kiwis, that we'll beat you again on Monday. I'm fairly confident about that. It's a subjective confidence, though. It's not unreasonable, but it's subjective. I, I can't prove it. There's that sense of confidence. Or there's more objective way of taking it. I wonder if that's really what he means here. Faith is the substance of what we hope for. Let me try and explain. It's the same word that the writer uses in chapter 1 of Jesus, where the writer says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being, God's substance, God's confidence, as it gets translated here. So the parallel seems to be working like this. The writer can say in chapter 1 of Hebrews, There's the invisible God, 
and Jesus makes him visible here on earth. He is the substance of the living God. You can't see God, but Jesus makes him visible. He's the substance of God. And faith in the promises, looks at the promises of God for the future and is so active in trusting them that it makes those promises visible here and now. It's a very strong parallel he makes. Just as Jesus takes an invisible God and makes him visible, so faith takes promises of God for the future and makes them visible here and now because the Christian shapes their life so much by those promises, they're visible to people. Oh, right, you're not just trusting in everything around us, you're trusting in God for the future, and I can see it in the way you live your life. That's what he means. Faith is the, is the substance of, of, of the promises brought into the future. That is faith. It is so obvious to people that they can see what you believe. Faith grasps hold of something promised as real. I've been promised a holiday in Croatia. And if you look at my bank statement, it's obvious I've bought Kuna. I don't do that. It's a useless currency unless you're going to that one country. There is evidence here and now. Do you see? That's what he's saying. Faith takes the promises of the future and makes them real. And that's commendable, verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. Commended, rewarded, big idea in this chapter. My son's school has a commendation system. They all have to carry around these little cards. You do something bad, you get a signature, demerit. You do something good, correct. You get a commendation. Uh, And you get 20 commendations, you get a free book. Sort of an inducement, uh, I, I guess. But what do they get commendations for? They listen to the word of the teacher and they act it out. Just so here. The ancients were commended because they listened to the promises of God and shaped their lives accordingly. So Hebrews 11, full of people commended by God. But the emphasis is not upon faith as such, but what they do by faith. You see the list over and over again, but so verse three, by faith, verse four, by faith, verse five, by faith, and on it goes, by faith, because of their faith. That's the emphasis, what they do, not so much faith itself. One last comment, then we really will get into it. I don't know what you make of this word, faith. It's a bit, slightly namby-pamby word uh, in the 21st century culture. Do you have faith? Everyone has faith. It's whether you have it on good evidence or not. Can we just agree that before we go any further? So tomorrow, you and I will have faith in the, whatever it may be, the sandwich we have for our lunch. We may buy it from Pret or Sainsbury's, or we may make it ourselves and trust. All of us will trust, we'll take on faith that we're not going to get poisoning. None of us are going to do Excuse me. None of us are going to do due diligence upon the sandwich. We're not going to shove it under a microscope and mm, any microbes that might make my gut go. Bruh. We're not going to do that. By faith in the quality of Pret, Sainsbury's temperature control, our memories of quite how long that hummus has been in the fridge, and if we scrape the top off it, it's fine. By faith, we'll take the sandwich and we'll eat the sandwich. We won't be paralyzed into indecision and say, well, I can't eat anything again because I can't be certain. I can't be certain that it's not going to make me sick. No, no, no. We just trust. By faith, 
Thousands every day board planes run by BA, and most of the time that's fine. Sometimes it's not. But no one rang up yesterday morning and said, how, are, how is the power on the IT system in India? No one did that. didn't occur to anyone to ask that question. Is it, is, it, is it all plugged in, or has one of the teenagers pulled out the plug to do her hair? What's gone wrong? You know, no one's asking those questions. You just trust. We live by faith in countless ways every day. Is the faith well-grounded? Hebrews 11 says, here are people who by faith had an active trust in a certain promise about an unseen future. Let's look at, the, uh, we'll look at four characters today. Uh, then next week we'll look at just at Abraham, the following week just at Moses, uh, and then get a whole other uh, raft of characters. So uh, four little things, but we'll go through them pretty quickly. First then, by faith, we understand the universe was made by God's word. Verse 3, by faith, we understand that the universe was made by God's word. Verse 3 is the odd one out in the chapter. It's not a person, unlike every other, by faith. And I think, therefore, it operates as a sort of heading over the chapter. Sometimes you just got to think and make a choice. Do I live by, only by what is visible and I can see, or do I trust God's word? That is the choice, in one sense, at the beginning of this chapter. Do I live just by what I can see, the visible, or do I trust God's word? I think it's a heading over the whole thing. So, verse 3. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's word, so that what is seen was not made out of what is, was visible. Faith says, actually, I wasn't there at the creation of the world. I may look old, but I'm not that old. But I do believe Genesis 1 and 2. I can't see it. But I believe it's true, because God has said it's true. What we now see was not made out of other visible matter, but made out of God's invisible word. And so faith says, yeah, I trust the word of God on that. And that isn't that eccentric. What is the alternative? Oh, it's speculation. If you just one little example, I read uh, a few months ago, Brian Cox's book, Human Universe, he'd done the TV series, and uh, he's the sort of rock star uh, scientist of the future. He's the new Attenborough, is uh, how uh, uh, the BBC are billing him. This was the book. It's very striking, some of the things he come once he made. We appear to live on a perfect planet in a perfect universe. It feels as if it's been made for us by someone. Well, the Earth orbits at just the right distance around the right star, for the temperatures on the surface to be just right to permit liquid water to exist. Those temperatures have remained just right for four billion years, just the right amount of time for us to have evolved. What could possibly account for this incredible piece of luck? It cannot be luck. The odds are too long. It is a Christian, I read this and think, wow, that's fantastic. Um, you're going to say there must be a God. Uh, he says, no. And his answer is a bit complicated, actually. But it's a twist on the idea that there's a multiverse, there's an infinite number of universes going back an infinite regress uh, in time. He describes his theory and then says, this is a quite stunning theoretical model. But I understand it sounds like wild speculation. And there is no evidence that can prove it to be so. 
Oh, right. At that point, it becomes not the most humble of statements. This is a quite stunning theoretical model that I've, I've helped contribute to. It's quite stunning. Uh, but there's no evidence that this is the case. I know it sounds wildly speculative, but you've just got to believe me. Well, if it comes to a choice between believing Brian Cox, talented musician uh, and, uh, uh, and scientist though he is, and the word of God, I'll go for the Bible. But one says, that's your choice. The writer says that there's your choice when you come to issues of faith. Will you trust the word of God? By faith, we understand the universe was made by God's word. Let's get to the people. Second thing then, Abel. Uh, Abel. By faith, Abel was commended as righteous, verse 4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Okay. Now, we haven't got time to go back and read the whole story. If you read Genesis chapter 4, there was a difference between these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Both bring God an offering. Here you are, Lord, here's something for you. Abel brought some sheep. Cain brought some vegetables. Now, there is nothing in Genesis chapter 4 to explain why God looked with favor on Abel and his sheep and not on Cain with his vegetables. It is not that God is a carnivore and likes those and doesn't like. There's nothing to explain it. But Hebrews here tells us that Abel brought a better offering. Now, throughout the book of Hebrews, better is a significant word, nine times. Better is Trusting the promises of God, you offer a better sacrifice, covenant. It's better than the observable religion of this world, is the contrast. Well, let me try and put it in other terms. Abel comes along and says, Lord, here is my offering. I give it to you because I trust you. I just trust you to bless me. You do what you want with it, Lord. Cain says, here is my offering, and now I've done something for you, you owe me. You owe me. Do you see the difference? Abel says, here's my offering, Lord, and I I trust you to do whatever you want. Cain says, I've given you something. You owe me. Now, that is quite contemporary. So lots of people think in those terms. Look, I, I think I've lived a decent life, and if there's a God in heaven, he owes me. Which is very different from the Christian faith, which says... I don't deserve anything from God. I'll never live a life morally good enough because I know my thoughts, my actions are selfish and self-absorbed. But I trust what God will do. That's the contrast. Trusting, I trust that God has promised me salvation in Jesus Christ rather than you owe me. That's the difference here. But it's quite common that people get confused with this. Uh, we had some uh, dinners this week. Uh, lots of guests came along. Uh, I got talking to one person on uh, one night, Thursday night. Uh, and they were not particularly impressed with what had been said. Uh, and they said, well, look, here's how it is. I, I, I don't know why you think God would not accept me. I have my moral code, and I live by my moral code. So if there is a God, he should accept me for that. I tried to point out that's a slightly odd logic. 
it goes on. I said, what is it a bit like? I go to a gym. I'm a member of a gym. I could say, I have my rules for the gym. And my rules say, somewhat unattractively, whenever I go to the gym and work out, I do so purely in a pair of socks and nothing else. That is my rule, and I stick to my rule, and so the management must, must let me do this because it's my rules and I keep them. That wouldn't get me very far. They might say, our club, our rules, clothe yourself rapidly, please. So for us to say, well, I've got my moral code, and I keep my moral code, so God should accept me. Well... His world, he decides, surely we should listen to him and how he requires us to live. But the default setting for humans is, I've lived a certain way and you owe me, God. If there's a God, you owe me. Whereas Abel knew, and the Christian knows more clearly, Lord, I, I can never put you in my debt. I just trust in your promises that for everything I've done wrong, you've paid for it in Jesus Christ. I trust in your promise that you'll let me into heaven because of Jesus, not because of me. Abel gets that right. So he's commended as righteous. That's Abel. What about Enoch? By faith, Enoch was saved from death. Now, before we read verse 5, if you read Genesis... Uh, Enoch is a slightly strange character. You have to read the chapter, Genesis chapter 5. Uh, and the phrase that comes over and over again, Genesis chapter 5, he died, and he died, and he died. So it's just a long, long genealogy, and the drumbeat is miserable. It is like listening to a funeral march. It's like Chopin's funeral march. is And he died, and he died, and he died. And in the middle of it, you get Enoch, who lives. So it's very strange. So you get uh, Genesis chapter 5, Seth lived 912 years, then he died. Enosh lived 905 years, then he died. Jared lived 962 years, then he died. Enoch lived 365 years, he walked faithfully to God, and then he was no more because God took him to heaven. What? That's what you're meant to do when you read that. So chapter, uh, uh, Hebrews 11 verse 5 will tell us, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he didn't experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Why? Well, for before he was taken, he, Enoch, was commended as one who pleased God. Why? What did Enoch do that was so impressive? Verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So Enoch believed that God existed, and Enoch believed that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. In other words, faith believes that the reward of God is worth making sacrifices for now. So as we had read, chapter 10, verse 34, 35. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So Christian faith can say, I 
I'm willing to go without in this life. I'm willing to suffer in this life. I'm willing to be mocked in this life. I'm going to shape my life here and now in a way which inconveniences me, but for the good of others, for the good of Jesus Christ, because I am confident that a reward comes. It is, I think, very striking. Chapter 10, verse 34. These people could joyfully accept confiscation of their property because they had two things, a better possession and a lasting possession. Or let me try and put it in these terms. Uh, which would you rather have? Uh, this is a thought experiment. This is not a genuine offer, by the way. But uh, somewhere, here we have it. The, um, here is uh, one of those little green Monopoly houses. Okay? You barely see it, but it's real. I'm, it's genuine. Uh, I haven't, couldn't afford a hotel. But um, uh, here's one of these little green... Now, I said, here's your choice. Uh, you can have this, or, because the weather's warm and it's a sort of seaside type day, uh, what about this house? So we've got it. This one just uh, sold for £7 million. It is a modern mansion on sandbanks. I was reading about this in the paper in the week. So, uh, you know, sandbanks down near Pool Harbour, bizarrely the fourth most expensive place to live on the planet. Somewhat bizarre. Uh, but there it is, uh, down on the south coast. Uh, sandbanks, a beautiful peninsula. This is a modern mansion, so just recently built. Uh, everything down to a very high standard. Four floors, four bedrooms, all en suite. Uh, so you see, you can barely see it, but everything down to a high standard. Uh, the weather, you know, who can tell? So the, the sea might be a little bit chilly, so there's a swimming pool in the basement, just to be sure. Um, then some of the views, we've got the views, because you want those on it. So there we go. Uh, nice roof terrace sort of thing, isn't it? You know, open, slightly bizarrely shaped, but, um, you know, you can, you can sit there of an evening, and that'd be nice, I would imagine. Uh, and the views in one direction and the other direction, Studland Bay, uh, etc., um, several acres of land come with it, seven million pounds. So which would you choose? Were you given the offer? My little greenhouse from Monopoly set, or uh, I think it was called Eastland, Eastland House on um, Sandbanks. Were that a genuine offer, you wouldn't worry too long about that. One is a little bit of plastic that serves you usefully for an hour, or if you're lucky, two, um, playing Monopoly. The other is, well, it's pretty significant. And the writer is saying, yeah, you got that, didn't you, you believers? We get rid of that. The, um, uh, you got that, didn't you? You, you were willing to, to joyfully, there you go, Adrian, you could joyfully give away your plastic possessions that are fleeting and temporary because you knew you had something better, lasting. Enoch knew that. Therefore, he earnestly sought after the Lord. The Christian trusts the God who rewards. Verse 6, literally, paymaster. The God who is a paymaster if you trust him. By faith, Abel commended as righteous. By faith, Enoch saved from death. Lastly, briefly, by faith, Noah took practical action. So faith is an active trust in a certain promise about an unseen future, and no one really illustrates that as clearly as Noah did. Verse seven, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, 
He condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. You can imagine, I think, all those years ago, in dry, arid Palestine, Noah begins building a massive boat, this massive boat. And people walk by. And so the fam- one day a family walks by and the kids say, Daddy, what is Noah doing? Son, he's building a massive boat. Daddy, why is he building a massive boat when there is no water for the boat to sail on? Son, Noah is nuts. Stay away from nutty Noah. Stay away from his fruit and nut children. They are the nutty family. Have nothing to do with them. Don't go and help them. They'll corrupt your minds. They're all doolally. Don't go near Noah. For years, he's building the boat. And then the waters come. And he's safe. But of course, Noah would have been exposed to all sorts of mockery and ridicule. But he'd been warned, verse 7. He'd received a word of God about the future. And he knew that God's words are trustworthy. They're certain promises, even though the future is unseen. And so he radically changed his life. He became a carpenter who built a boat. That was his life's project. He took very practical steps and was sensible to do so. Jesus Christ says, I'm coming back to return, I'm coming to return to this world to judge it. And have you made the steps necessary for that? I will return. Oh, in the schemes of things, it's just a little while. End of verse 10. In the life of uh, planets, the age of ours. It's just a little while. I'm coming back, says Jesus. And I will judge the world. And are you ready? What does that mean? Well, first, if you've never done so, you've got to investigate the claims that Jesus makes. Lots of people don't in the UK. They believe their news feeds. They're you know, stuck in our, our news feed silos and people just listen to the, the, the nonsense that says, oh, there was no Jesus Christ. You don't need to believe in him. There, there's... Uh, there is no historian on the planet who say there wasn't a man called Jesus Christ. You've got to get out of your newsfeed silos and face facts. There is a reason at least a third of the planet still believe in him and call him Lord. You've got to investigate his claims. Crucially, though, secondly, you have to trust that he's died for you. That Jesus has paid for all your selfishness, your self-absorption, your mistakes, your deliberate wrongs. He paid for all them upon the cross and says, whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. You've got to investigate. You've got to trust him. Thirdly, for the many here who are Christians today, what does that look like? The Lord does not ask you to build a boat in the desert, which is good. But he does ask you for active trust in his promises. In how you use your time in how the people you choose to spend time with, invest in, how you use your money. Are you willing to endure insults, insults when they come, suffering if it comes? Now, many, many here do. I see it all the time. 
in small ways. I always wander over before church, and there's the whatever it is, 25 people helping out with the kids' work. They're just trusting the promises of God. That's why they do it. But the Christian knows that faith is not passive. It is an active trust because we've got a certain promise about the future and therefore that affects what we do now. The Christian knows that faith acts and very wonderfully that God rewards. I'd quite like to spend a bank holiday weekend at this house, take a few mates, give them a treat. Looks nice, doesn't it? Nice views, weekends such as this. It is a piece of plastic toot compared to the reward of heaven. The promises of God about an unseen future, they are certain. Faith trusts them and acts on them. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, wherever we are in our views upon Jesus Christ, would you please help us to see what is true? That the unseen future you promise is true. Would you deepen our trust in your certain promises so that we act upon them now for our good, for our safety, for our fulfillment, for our joy, and for the honor of your name? Amen.